Welcome to episode 1132 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, rolling without Jason Collette this Sunday. He unfortunately had a commitment that came up, uh, and so I had to bring in a heavy hitter. I had to bring in a pinch hitter that knows how to hit the long ball. I brought in Joe Rico of Fantasy Ethos. Joe, welcome to the show. Justin, it's great to talk with you again, man. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure whenever we do whatever pod, and especially you know talking with you the first time since we were hanging out in Arizona. I was mm-hmm. following along with you and Danielle quite a bit, and I appreciate you guys putting up with me. But it's it's great to it's great to talk with you again, man. It was a blast to get to meet you in Arizona. Uh, you know, uh, you're kind of a little bit newer to the game, uh, and uh, but we've had a, some fun conversations on other pods. So I thought you know it's time to bring them on. Sleeper in the bus. Let let all of our listeners get to know you a little bit. Talk a little bit about what you do uh, and then where people can reach you on social media. Yeah, thanks, man. So I am the head of the baseball department at sportsethos.com. We are currently working on a draft guide right now. It's going to come out somewhere in the middle of February. I'm thinking mid to late February, still nailing down an exact date. Uh, But it's going to have my rankings in it. It'll have sleepers. It'll have busts, which, you know, considering the name of the podcast, I guess it makes sense. Uh, all the different stuff you typically see in draft guides, rookie report, players to target later on in drafts, all that good stuff. Uh, my, I do a daily podcast as well, Fantasy MLB Today. Uh, you guys can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. We go Monday through Friday, and we usually bring on a guest once or twice a week. We're right now going through some rankings. We're going through team previews, uh, kind of similarly to what you're doing on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. Apologize if there's any overlap in the guests there. It's, <laughs> there's certain people that you want to talk to about certain teams, so... We've, we've been going through those recently. A um, couple of other kind of cool announcements, and I wanted to, you know, while I have the spotlight here, mention it that we have a new podcast that's going to be starting out on Sports Ethos uh, Podcast Network. You guys probably know Britton Allen. I know Justin knows Britton Allen. Yep. He is going to be hosting a podcast called It's Gone. It's going to be an NFBC-focused once-a-week podcast that we're going to be doing. It's going to be starting up, I'm thinking, in the next two weeks we're going to get that going. But, yeah, I just wanted to get everybody out there uh, listening for it because it's going to be coming pretty soon. And Britain's a great guy. I talked with him in Arizona. I know you spent time with him as well. And that one will be coming out pretty soon. But we got a lot of exciting stuff. You can check it all out at sportsethos.com. And you can find my work on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That's where all the links and podcasts get posted out from. Uh, yeah, Britain's a great dude. I had him... Uh, I've had him a couple times on the Friends of, Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast. Uh, he just did the White Sox preview with me uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so definitely uh, follow him, follow the new pod, follow Joe over on that Twitter machine. Make sure you're following all the pods, uh, putting out daily pods, putting me to shame right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, man. I mean, some days are easier than others for sure. When you when you tell yourself you're going to do a pod every single weekday. There's days where I wake up and there's a ton of news and I'm just itching to get to the mic. And there's also some days where you're going to be a little bit less enthused. You're a little bit tired or not feeling well. But it's a good discipline knowing that at some point I'm going to sit down and talk baseball for half an hour every day. There you go. Uh, Let's let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is we're going to cover some news and notes. And then I want to talk about some sophomore players, right? You're going to get podcasts where you talk about, hear people talk about rookies or prospects that could potentially be coming up and make an impact. We also we don't often revisit kind of like, hey, who are some of the rookies from last year that may take another step forward or may regress back a little bit? So I thought it'd be a fun time to kind of sit uh, and talk about some of these guys that, uh, you know, we'll see how they're going to do in their second year. Uh, let's start with that news and notes. Uh, Alberto Mondesi getting traded from the Royals 
to the Red Sox, his ADP already jumping up, and we're already getting news that he may start the year on the IL. Joe, this is a guy who has been really boomer bust for fantasy. He has won people fantasy leagues, and he has lost people fantasy leagues. Are you drafting Alberto Mondesi this year? I drafted him last year, and I tend to live by the scorned lover narrative of if you hurt me last year, I'm not going to take you this year. It kind of is why I avoided Luis Castillo this season in 2022. Uh, He hurt me bad in 2021, and albeit he was better down the stretch, but I find it hard to get those narratives out of my head of you killed me last year, and I don't really want to take the chance on you doing the same this year. Mondesi is is so hard to really wrap your head around because when he is out there, we know what he can do. He can, like you said, win leagues. He can steal you 40 bases. He can hit you some home runs. He's shown some pop in the past, but I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Even, even if they didn't have this report about opening day about how he might not be ready, there's still a ch- – I mean, I, I don't really know how exactly it impacts me, but it definitely doesn't make me more willing to draft him. I mean, he's going up in price, like you said – uh, looking at these most recent drafts, just filtering from the middle of January, he's going like in the mid 240s. So it, it's not a bad price. I just can't really get behind it. I know that there's there's room there for him to succeed. I just, if you're talking about a draft and hold where you got to keep him on your roster the whole year, I don't really see myself paying that price. Now, this range where he's in, if you're in a 10 or a 12 team league, he, he's like last pick of the draft territory, anywhere from 250 to 270. That's your last pick or two. There, I wouldn't really mind it so much. If he ends up getting hurt, you drop him, you throw him on the IL or whatever. But in a format where you have to have him for the entire season, I'm just a little bit skeptical of him. Like, the projections are good, but there's also a wide range there. Like, the Bad X has him for 39 steals. Steamer has him for 23. Uh, we, we're we're playing with fire a little bit when we're drafting him, and I think the best policy, I don't like drafting injured players anyway, but a guy like him, I think the best policy is to probably just stay away in general. Yeah, uh, so here's the thing. Like, I, I want to say it was Vlad Sedler. I was trying to find the tweet uh, as we were as you were talking um, uh, because I believe he said he was in a DC when the news dropped that he was being traded to uh, uh, to uh, uh, Boston, and he went at pick 150 in that DC. Now that DC hasn't finished, so it doesn't like reflect. And that's the thing about draft champions ADP, right? Is it doesn't reflect the drafts that haven't finished, and those are 50 round drafts. They take a little bit while. A little while, uh, some you know more than others on the, those slow drafts. His ADP is going to go up, which is insane considering we have no idea when he's going to be ready. We have no idea what Boston plans to do in terms of using him. I mean, we saw Kansas City attempt to say, "Hey, we're only going to let him play like ninety something games, right?" Uh, in order to try to keep him healthy. And how did that work? It didn't. It's also a contract year, so you're going to get those narratives of, "Hey, he wants to get paid." You know, the team you know doesn't have any long term ties to him. They'll just use him at pick two fifty. I mean, he doesn't hurt you that much, right? Like, you, yeah. you, you miss it, you miss out. I, I think you're completely right about, like, I don't want him in a draft champions. Like, I don't want, you know, in him in a league where he has to stick on my roster the whole year. Uh, I would take the gamble after pick 200, 220 maybe in a fab league where I can just drop him if he doesn't uh, pan out. That being said, in leagues with no IL spots, in leagues with um, shallow benches, uh, where you you can't like you have to just roster him on those bench. So NFBC centric, it's really hard to draft a guy like that because who knows how long he misses just to start the season, much less in season. So I just think that it's so problematic that it's he's likely not to end up on very many of my teams this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd like to have him. I, there's that potential there for, a, like, if he if everything goes well with him, like, let's say he played 130, 140 games, which he's not going to do, then he's likely a first-round player, like maybe a yeah. second-round player. That's where the conundrum comes from. I just can't do it. I just personally can't get, get around it. If he finished the year as the number one player in fantasy because he played 145 games or something like that, I would not be surprised. But the chance, uh, someone once told me, um, or I heard a Stanford professor once say that uh, the chance that you're going to win the lottery is like trying to find one green M&M in a Olympic sized swimming pool filled with M&Ms with while wearing a blindfold. Like that's the chance. And that feels like the chance that Mondesi is actually going to deliver that kind of return. So, Hey, it could happen. People do win the lottery. Um, but the chance that you're going to win the lottery. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Let's, uh, let's move away from a guy who's a little bit, um, you know, less tantalizing, I guess, in terms of uh, your draft uh, cost and, and draft recouping. Uh, Jesus Aguilar signs a deal to go play with the Oakland A's. Um, he's probably going to play quite a bit. Do you want to draft him in fantasy? Yeah, I don't think I mind it. Like, I was looking earlier at the ADP. He's going very late. Like, I think he's going past pick 600. I know he's just recently signed, so that might change a little bit. Um, but he's going very late. It's he's still got thirty home run upside. Like okay, in these last four drafts, his ADP is five thirty five. At that point, sure, I don't have any problem taking a chance on him. Now the ballpark sucks. We know that the team around him sucks. But at that point, you're kind of just looking for upside wherever you can, and he could potentially give you thirty home runs. Like we've seen that kind of pop from him in the past. So I don't have a big problem with it. I'm not pushing him up draft boards any more really than he's going. Maybe like the four fifties range is about as high as I'd really want to go but in that once you get beyond that pick uh, there's there's a lot of good that you can get out of Jesus Aguilar I mean he's giving you 35 and 108 in the past you know even 2021 it was 22 and 93 decent batting average I'm I'm fairly in on him I'm fairly in on Aguilar for this year yeah I, I mean I think in deeper leagues what do you want towards the end of your draft you want a guy who's gonna play you want you want plate appearances um and there's no reason why he shouldn't play every day. Like, I know he's like a potential platoon bat, but no, I don't think he really is. I think that, you know, we saw we saw the A's run out one of the worst uh, lineups in all of baseball last year on a pretty consistent basis. Um, and somehow they got worse this year. So yeah, I don't think that I think that what they want to do is try to build up his value as much as possible so they can try to trade him at the deadline. Yeah. So, again, I think this is another one of these situations where. I might be actually a little less inclined to draft him in a draft champions kind of league, because if he does get moved at the deadline, he's likely a bench bat for somebody. Yeah. He's not, he's not probably uh, playing every day. He's probably in some sort of platoon role. Uh, and so he becomes a little bit less enticing uh, for the second half of the season when your team has sustained injuries and things like that, and probably doesn't have near the depth it did, uh, you know, during and after your draft. So, uh, but I think in a 15 team mix AL only, I think he becomes really interesting towards the end of that draft because he's going to play every day. And like you said, he's hit 30 home runs before. Now that was in Milwaukee, but he did hit 22 home runs just in 2021 in Miami, which is just about of park as Oakland. So like the fact that he has the opportunity to play every day, I can see low twenties, maybe even mid twenties home runs. Yeah, and at that price, I mean, might as well, right? There's not really anybody at that range you're really expecting 20 home runs from him. You actually likely can expect it. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, he signs a deal to go play in Detroit. Uh, how much do we care about this? I don't – he's so weird. Like, if you look at 2021, <clears throat> he had 21 homers and he stole one base. It was 149 games. This past season, he played 147 games, essentially the same. He had one home run and 10 stolen bases. I have no idea what to expect out of him. I don't even know if he's going to be in the lineup. Like, I remember looking at roster resource – is he even slotted in to start there? Or were we expecting him to get a lot of at-bats? I mean, I, I, I'm i not crazy about taking him. Like, he's definitely a much deeper league target for me. If you're talking shallow leagues, no chance. But like we alluded to earlier, if you're looking for at-bats later on, maybe. But I don't even know if we can rely on those at-bats. I just – I don't really have that much confidence. I think as a whole, I got to say that I'm out on him. We just, we just don't know what he's going to be. We don't know what he is. Yeah, I wonder if he is going to compete for that third base job. Like right now it's Nick Maton playing, you know, scheduled to play third base. Uh, it is a minor league deal with two opt-outs, one opt-out like the day before opening day and I think the other opt-out sometime in June or something like that. So if he doesn't like his playing time situation, like he can opt out and go back onto the free agent market. But I'm guessing like he's potentially the guy to kind of compete with Nick Maton for that third base job. The problem is like they don't have a ton of guys like that they want to send down to the minors that have options, right? Like Tyler Nevin doesn't have options, so you know they can't necessarily send him down without DFAing him first. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Miguel Cabrera doesn't have options and it's his last year. There's no way they send you know, a guy like him down. So maybe he's insurance for like Spencer Torkelson. Like if Torkelson looks really, really bad in spring training, like they can send Torkelson back down and the go Cabrera plays first. And the, now Maton becomes the super utility guy and Cesar Hernandez plays third base. Um, he's just not super interesting. Like the power, I know they're moving the fence in, in, in Comerica, but like, I don't think, I don't think they're going to move him in like right by in second base. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of home runs uh, for him uh, there. Uh, and uh, the speed is so unreliable. He's one of those guys that can swipe bags, but he has to like really like make it a part of his game. And a guy who's probably going to be batting towards the bottom of the order uh, on a team that's not very good. Like, I just don't know that we're going to see double digit stolen bases from him again. So, a uh, deep league kind of, uh, you know, draft champions gamble, I guess. Yeah. I just, I don't know how he hit 21 home runs and then goes to hitting one the following season in the same amount of games. It's, I, I can't, I can't take that risk, especially in shallow form, especially in any format, really. I'm just, I'm just not too interested at all. Yeah. Uh, on going back to the A's and fielding the worst team uh, probably in in uh, MLB history, uh, they traded their only like legitimately like stable starter in Cole Irvin uh, to the Baltimore Orioles. Um, does this uh, intrigue you at all, Cole Irvin moving to Baltimore? And is this going to give them an ex the Orioles an excuse to not start Grayson Rodriguez in the majors because? I'm starting to get a little nervous that the guy that was ready last year is now getting blocked by all these just mediocre starters. Yeah, it's certainly, I, didn't, I hadn't thought about it from that point of view, but that's definitely something we're going to have to consider, especially where Grayson Rodriguez is going in drafts. He might end up being a huge bust. I mean, I feel like he will end up getting starts throughout the year, whether it's because of injury or because he just really proves it to the point where they, they don't have any excuse any longer. I expect we will still see Grayson. Now, Cole Irvin, 
is interesting because there were times last year, like I, I titled a few of my podcasts around like Cole Irvin is, is a spectacular, blah, blah, blah. You know, he had a stretch where he was rolling through the Astros. Like every, he would face them every other time out and it was like seven innings, one earned run, you know, six innings, one earned run, six innings, one earned run. Like he was going through them. He went through Toronto, eight innings. Like there was a stretch there in July where he was, I thought he was going to be a league winner. Now in Baltimore, I like him probably about the same. Uh, I think that the ballpark, especially considering they've moved the fence back at Camden there, it's probably not going to be too far off. Now, he's always been a little bit more, uh, he's given a few more home runs than you would probably have liked. I don't know how much that's really going to change. I was looking at the park factors just from last year, and they're not too far off. I think Baltimore is a little bit better than Oakland. I don't have them up in front of me right now, but I believe Baltimore is a little bit better in terms of allowing homers uh, to right-handed batters. And I think that'll probably be something that helps him a little bit. I don't think that it's really going to change who he is. I think Cole Irvin is Cole Irvin at this point. He's fine. He's more probably a streamer when you have like a nice little two-step for him. If he's got, you know, uh, Pittsburgh and Washington or whoever in one week or something like that, or maybe even Oakland now, uh, you consider starting him out there. But I don't think he's somebody we really have to take a look at drafting. He doesn't strike anybody out. Like I said, there is still a bit of a home run problem. Overall, I'm not really moved by this. In general, with a lot of these moves today, the hot stove has kind of had a bucket of cold water thrown on it. We're kind of just left with the scraps at this point. Nobody really that's too, too interesting. And Cole Irvin, unfortunately, kind of fits in that bucket. Not really that interested in him. Yeah, I mean, I think he is a draft champions kind of guy, you know, just a guy who's going to get you some innings, uh, you know, when when you have injuries or really bad matchups for other starters. Uh, I will say... You know, he was much better in Oakland than he was on the road. I think that trend continues because, like you said, uh, Baltimore's home park is so nice, especially for left-handed pitching. So uh, I think he's going to be a very good home streamer. I got, You know, he's got a two-step at home or a good matchup at home. You use him. And then uh, he goes back to your bench or back to the waiver wire when he's got a long road series. Um, all right, next, uh, next guy on the list. Again, another uninspiring uh, guy. That's Alex Colomay. Going to the Nationals, he's uninspiring, but he does have closer experience. The Nationals don't have much of a bullpen. Right now, Finnegan is projected to be the opening day closer. you think Colomay steals that role at any point? I think it's definitely possible if Finnegan falters or gets hurt. He's probably the guy that they go to. Like, this bullpen is – this whole team is absolutely just – it's a joke. It's, it's, it's terrible, and the bullpen is no different. It's – there's nothing to look forward to if you're a Washington Nationals fan. It's insane, just as a side note, how the tides turned after they won that World Series. Like, they yeah. were on top of the world. They had Harper. They had Rendon. They had Turner. They had Soto. Well, Harper, I guess, left the year before. But, oh, man, it must be incredibly tough to be a fan of this team. I Just looking at this bullpen, it's, it's really rough. If something does happen to Finnegan, maybe they go Carl Edwards. I think that it likely is column A, but I don't think that I'm going to be too interested in drafting him. How many wins are the Nationals going to have this year? 60, maybe. Yeah. You know, how many saves are really going to be able to go around, especially if we're talking about some kind of, maybe not necessarily a platoon, but there's, eh, we, we don't really know if Finnegan's going to be fully trusted. He's projected for 27 saves. I mean, they expect him to have the, the closer role as of right now. I don't know if those have been adjusted since column A signed. Probably but not. I'm... I'm not really that interested in anybody here. It would be Finnegan for me still at this point. <clears throat> if he gets hurt, maybe you pick up Colome, you throw some fab dollars at him or a waiver claim, but I wouldn't want to be drafting him. That's it's a little bit too risky for me. 
Yeah, I think he's one of those guys in like a deeper league, a 15 team league or draft champions. Obviously, you take a, you know, take a dart throw on him uh, in case he does become the closer at some point. But he's one of those guys that I'll use like like, let's say a 30 round draft. Like I'll use my last pick on um, because like if he is the closer, we're going to know it pretty quick. And if he's not the closer, I'll drop and pick up, pick up someone else. Right. Um, And, you know, maybe I'll just lucked into a third or fourth closer. Uh, kind of situation in a 15 team league other than that like i think you have to just wait to kind of see how it plays out um but like you said the the nationals are just not a very good team like they're just not going to be a ton of saves to go around anyway so uh and if this does turn into some sort of committee situation it's just a nightmare like who cares that they're going to be splitting up you know 35 potential saves like yeah <laughs> you know, at, that, at that point like just abandon ship altogether yeah uh another a couple of ins- uninspiring moves uh, to the Rangers, Ian Kennedy and Danny Duffy. This looks like just kind of depth right now, though. Ian Kennedy does have closing experience. He's been, you know, fairly reliable as a kind of a back end bullpen piece for a number of teams over the last few years. It, either of these guys worth drafting in fantasy. I think he Kennedy might fall into the same column as Colome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a backup for Leclerc if something happens to him. Then he's probably going to be the guy given the role, given his closing experience. Again, it's almost the exact same analysis you can get for Colome. Not somebody I'm excited to draft last round. Sure, uh, take a flyer on him. You might end up getting 10, 12 saves out of it by the end of the day, but really uninspiring, Ian Kennedy. I'm just, at this point in his career, I, I really don't want to be relying on him. It would be obviously just a a marriage of opportunity because of the fact that he would have a closing role, but the skills are really not that great anymore i mean it's crazy to think that he was a 20 win starting pitcher like 10 12 years ago but at this point you know he is 38 years old 37 years old i don't know how much yeah he just turned 38 so i don't know how much gas is really left in the tank for him to go out and do so much uh, i think it's pretty much exactly cookie cutter answer to call him a last round i don't really have a problem with it anywhere higher i think you're probably expecting a little bit too much yeah i think he is an interesting like draft champions guy uh only because Leclerc has such a volatile profile, right? Like, I mean, we've seen Leclerc have like five walks per nine walk rates and stuff like that, you know? And so like, if he starts getting in trouble and I don't know if, I think the Rangers are preparing to compete for 2024, but their team could be competitive this year and they're not going to want a guy like Jose Leclerc in that, uh, in that closer role if he's walking the yard. So I think he's just, yeah. I think Kennedy might just be a little bit of insurance. Uh, so in deeper leagues, especially draft champions, he's worth kind of just a, a look at in case uh, the walk issues come back to haunt Jose Leclerc. That being said, Jose Leclerc was really, really like, quietly, really, really good last year. Yeah. Um, even with, the, especially with the walk rate, making huge improvements. So um, I, I wouldn't say like there's a high percentage chance that Kennedy gets this job at any point. Uh, and then Danny Duffy, I think it's just a, hey, let's take a gamble on a guy who used to have really, really high upside um, and might be something. But, like, right now the rotation is packed. Like, the triple A rotation is better than the A's major league rotation. Like, And I don't yeah. know that that's particularly close. Yeah, I don't think it is. With, with I mean, I'm trying to think Kumar um, and Leiter. I'm trying to think who else they've yeah, got. Yeah, they've got D- and Dane Dunning and Cole Reagans and um, – I'm, I'm blanking on somebody else, but like, yeah, I mean, their AAA rotation is actually, uh, I'm surprised the Rangers have not traded 
uh, some of that depth for uh, MLB pieces uh, or maybe bullpen pieces. Maybe a lot of these guys end up in the major league bullpen, and that's how they kind of because their their major league bullpen sucks. Yeah, I mean, their their starting depth is good, and that's kind of the thing with Duffy is I don't really see him making it as a starter here. There'd have to be a lot of injuries, and there's a lot of volatility in that rotation. Degrom, you know, John Gray, mm-hmm. there's potential for a lot of innings to be available potentially. But Danny Duffy, I mean, we had to remember he didn't pitch at all last year. 2021 and 2020 combined for like 100 innings. The last time we saw a quote unquote full season, which was 130 innings, was 2019 from him. So I don't think that they're going to ask too much of him. The different projection systems have him for, well, I mean, the bat actually has him starting 16 games. Interesting. I don't know that he'll actually get there. I think that there's a potential for it if there's injuries, but I just don't really see myself being that interested. The last time he was in the bigs, he was all right. He wasn't too bad, but uh, being a year removed, plus the fact that he's just, you know, he's 34 now. He was The last time he was throwing a full season, he was 30 years old. I'm not really that interested. Nobody really, really talked about today. Am I that interested in, to be honest with you? Yeah. Triple uh, A rotation right now for the Rangers. Dane Dunning, Glenn Otto, Cole uh, Reagan, Spencer Howard, Cole Wynn, and Jack Leiter. Um, yeah, that is a better rotation than the A's have. Like and that. I guess Kumar Rocker is like in – is he not du- in AA? He's in double A. At least that's where he's projected to start. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh I'm, I'll be interested to see how many of those guys are uh, are in the bullpen for this Rangers bullpen at some point this year. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get away from those boring news and no transactions. Talk <laughs> about some of the guys who were rookies last year, sophomores this year, uh, and let's start with Adley Rushman, who um, you know had a slow start to his season, but really picked it up, showed off a little bit of that hit tool. Uh, and is now coming off the board pretty high in NFBC draft so far. Uh, where are you at on Rushman for this year? I like Rushman. I like him a lot. I think I had him when I did my catcher rankings. He was fifth. Um, I think that there is still room for him to grow. I'm also a little bit worried that we're maybe pushing him up a little bit too high. And I know it's tricky. Catcher is generally tricky. And this year really isn't that much different for me in terms of how I'm viewing the position. I know it's a little bit deeper. But it's still very difficult to really nail down. Like, Rutschman here is going the same price as Sal Perez. I definitely like him more than Sal Perez. But I'm also not really opposed to waiting a little bit and getting myself like a Kyle Raleigh or Danny Jansen type. So while I like Rutschman and I think that he is the potential to grow on what he did last season, I don't know that I'm in at pick 63, which is roughly where he's going in these last few drafts. You know, if he meets the projections, then he'll probably – just about meet that but even then like if you look at atc 17 homers 60 rbis 256 uh four steals i don't know that that's really gonna be that good i mean it's it's fine it's good but is it top 60 maybe pushing on top 50 draft pick good i'm just not really there on him yet the lineup around him is pretty good but is it great no the ballpark is not the greatest either Overall, I'm I'm I still like him and I still have him as my fifth catcher, but I'm just a little bit worried at price right now. I mean, this is where draft cost becomes really, really important because you look at the skills. I love the skills on Rushman. Like uh he had, you know, he had a 18% strikeout rate, a 14% walk rate last year. For a catcher, man, I love that. You look even under the hood and you go, hey, only swing outside of the zone a quarter of the time. 
he had a 91.5% zone contact. Like, dude has an elite hit tool, especially for a catcher. Uh, we know that there's power. If the power is still growing, uh, you know, obviously being a switch hitter when he's batting righty, uh, that wall might be an issue for him. Uh, you know, there isn't very much speed, but hey, he did throw in four stolen bases in just 470 plate appearance. So a little bit of speed, which is great for a catcher. The problem is exactly what you're saying. Since the beginning of the year, he is going sixty. Uh, he's going sixty fifth in terms of ADP, uh, and that's fourth at the catcher position. Fourth, he's going ahead of Sal Perez, MJ Melendez, Wilson Contreras, uh, William Contreras, Alejandro Kirk. Uh, like I don't understand like how you can put him there. That to me is just insanely high over guys that hey, we kind of know what they can do. We're not guesstimating at this point. Like. I just I don't understand drafting him over those guys. I think he's a top 10 catcher, but I think he's towards the bottom of the top 10, not towards the top where he's going right now. As much as I love Rushman, I'm going to enjoy watching him play. Doubt he ends up on any of my teams this year. Where did you have him in your rankings? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, I don't, but I know I can find it very, very quickly. Um, for yeah, I, had him, uh, I initially had him fourth, and then I moved him down. Um, that was like my very early rankings for fifth. And then I flip flopped him with Kirk. I, I feel more comfortable with Kirk as a whole. I think that the stat lines are going to be fairly similar. You're getting Kirk a lot cheaper with Rutschman. I, I don't want to be out on him. And that's the, the problem. We're going to talk about another guy too. I have the same problem with, I don't want to be out. I want shares. I love the young stud players like Rutschman, like all the other guys we're going to talk about today. But the price on a lot of these guys has gotten insane at this point where i would much rather just wait three or four rounds especially in a one catcher league there's no need to be taking adley rutschman in the fourth or fifth round there's just there's yeah i i have rushman like seven eight nine somewhere around there okay. um like i just i i don't know how like i understand like salper has had a down a quote-unquote down year last year like i understand like that there are question marks about hey new park new team for wilson Contreras, um but I just don't know how you take him over guys like that. Like it's just, you know, and even I think you can start making the arguments against guys like Melendez and Kirk and things like that, but yeah. we, we've seen what they can do. Um, I don't know that we've seen what really uh, Rushman can do yet. Uh, I think he's going to be good. I don't think people are necessarily going to regret um, drafting him, but I think they will regret it at that price. Yeah, absolutely agreed. All right. Next guy on the list is another stud, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., um, you know, his price went absolutely through the roof and it was warranted because he was a fantastic one of two guys in Major League Baseball to go 2030 last year. Uh, you know, what can we expect in year two for Bobby Witt Jr.? See, I am not as big on Bobby Witt Jr. as a lot of people are. I, I think that he is fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that he is going to be a stud, 30-30 potential perennially for the next 10 seasons. I think that that's totally possible. But I think we've lost our minds with where we're drafting him. Like, he's going as a top seven, top eight draft pick. When I mean, we're drafting him at his absolute ceiling. And, and it's not exactly the same with Rutschman. I think his price is a little more reasonable than Bobby Witt. But Bobby Wood's going ahead of guys like Bo Bichette, Mookie Betts, Vlad Guerrero, Freddie Freeman, Manny Machado. Like, when I did, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, I'm sure. When I did third base rankings, I put him fifth. I'm just, wow. I put him behind Devers, I put him behind Machado, and I put him behind Riley. I just feel like there is much more to like with those guys. 
you're giving up steals a little bit, but in terms of everything else, you're getting more home runs, you're getting more RBIs, you're getting a better batting average from all those guys. If you look at third base projections for WRC+, all those other guys are at the top, and Bobby Wood Jr. is 17th or 18th. Yeah, 18th. He is, and I know that's not a fantasy stat, but in general, I think we have to look at the whole picture. He's going to steal more bases than those guys, but pretty much everywhere else, I think he's going to suffer. Like, he's clearly below Jose Ramirez for me, and he's clearly below Machado. And with Devers and uh, Austin Riley, it's fairly close. But I think with those guys, the ceiling is just, or excuse me, the floor is just quite a bit higher. The lineups, I mean, especially for Riley, are better. I'm, I like Bobby Witt, but I hate the price. Like, I, I hate it so much. And I just, I'm going to have zero shares. Maybe we'll see, because Yahoo's opened up their, their leagues now. Maybe people will be drafting them a little bit later. Maybe I'll end up with some shares there. But in the NFBC, I just can't do it at this price. I still think he's going to give you 25 and 20 or something like that. That's roughly what he's projected for. The lineup's just not great around him. You know, there's a lot of swing and miss still. Doesn't walk very much. I mean, the swing and miss is not terrible, but he doesn't walk very much. He doesn't get on base that much. I am not too big on Bobby Wood Jr. right now at price. All right, so I already have Bobby Wood Jr. in a league, and so I can't say I won't get him. I may not get him again, though, because I don't think you're wrong. Um, I have him above Devers and Riley, but I have him like within like a few cents of Austin Riley in terms of uh, in terms of value. Uh, you know, I've got, I think it's, let's see, 11 cents difference. So, like, you can make the argument that you should be taking Riley just because the profile is a little bit safer. I think the stolen bases obviously make up a huge difference when we're talking yeah. about Roto. Um, I can't take him where he's going. I'm with you. Like, Machado is clearly above him in my projections. Uh, and not to mention, like, then you add in the fact that Machado is just extremely safe, comparatively speaking. I don't think that Witt is a first-rounder or should be a first-rounder, but he will be going in the first round. So uh, I think he will definitely – he's unlikely to be on the rest of my teams moving forward, even though I do already have kind of an early draft share before my projections were done. Uh, but I, I see exactly what you're saying, a guy that doesn't have the cleanest of underlying contact skills, uh, definitely has power, definitely has speed. I think there's real questions about the batting average, um, you know, I'm not going to beat anybody up for taking him in the first round because I understand people want to chase those power speed kind of stats, but I just think you can get it with safer profiles from other guys. Um, and I think the fact that he is, you know, he's third base eligible and stuff. I think that is helping drive up the price more because it's so hard to get both power and speed from third base at the same time. Uh, and so that's fine, but he's not going to be on the rest of my teams. I want shares. Like this is what was driving me crazy. Like I remember I had I had Chris Welsh on my show in well, I don't know June or July. And we were predicting ADP for next season at the time, and I think we projected Bobby Wood Jr. to be like around 20, 15 or twenty. And at that point, you know, I would probably take a share if you're on the turn. And that's what was happening. Like when we were in Arizona doing those drafts in Arizona, he was going on the turn, and I think it might have been Frank Stample took Vlad Guerrero and Bobby Witt Jr. at the turn. Like that, I, I could get around that. But we're talking like six, like his minimum pick in all draft champions is three. And that's going through all of them. Like somebody took him third overall. I yeah. just, I, I'd want him. I just can't do it at that price. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't either. Uh, all right, moving on to over to uh, Jeremy Pena, who 
was, uh, you know, a hero in the postseason. I mean, he was a hero for fantasy teams because you were getting him for extremely cheap in drafts, like towards the back end of your 15-team leagues. Um, and he put up a really, really nice rookie campaign. The price isn't necessarily cheap. It's not super expensive. He's not going out as like a top 10 shortstop or anything like that. But he's going a little bit higher than I think I'm willing to take him at. Where are you at on Jeremy Pena? I'm just pulling it up now. I think he's the 14th uh, shortstop off the board. And I'm just looking at the most recent four drafts here. Uh, He's going about pick 120. I think it's okay. I mean, he's kind of – this is where you're approaching the range of the cliff for shortstop. I think the cliff is probably Carlos Correa. And then after him, you're not really so comfortable. If you're getting out of this range and you take Jeremy Pena – I'm okay with it because I know that if you miss out on him and a couple of the other, a couple of these other guys, then you might be stuck with a Horner or maybe a Bryson Stott or somebody. And I mean, you should probably take care of it earlier on. And I think that's something that some people might get caught up in is the the narrative that shortstop is so deep and you can wait and you can wait and you can wait. If you wait past this range, then you're probably screwed. But with Jeremy Pena, if you take him, I'm I'm pretty happy to take him. I mean, looking at what he did. And kudos to Houston for replacing Carlos Correa, essentially one for one here. It's, it's not maybe not exactly one for one with the defense, especially, but Pena's pretty damn good overall. He'll give you 22 homers, 11 stolen bases. That lineup is going to be ridiculous. I think he's probably going to be somewhere at the bottom of the lineup, but regardless, there should be a lot of RBI opportunities, a lot of run opportunities. I don't mind the price. I really don't mind taking him here somewhere in the 120 range. I, I really don't. Like If you want to wait on shortstop, you can wait on it. I wouldn't wait beyond probably the Pena, Ahmed Rosario, Carlos Correa range, but he's, I think I'd like him as well, as much as any of those three guys right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit lower on him. Not, not that I think he's bad or anything. I think he is what he is. I think he is what we saw last year, which is, you know, low twenties, maybe high teens, home runs, and, you know, maybe getting to double digit stolen bases, probably double digit stolen bases with new base running rules and things like that this year. Um, And, you know, a two fifty ish average. I think, uh, actually, you know what, kudos to a lot of early drafters because his early price in drafts was getting uh, a little scary, um, and they've kind of pumped the brakes a little bit and settled him around the Carlos Correa area. You know, I have some quibbles with that. Like, I think Carlos Correa is probably a better hitter uh, and probably should be above him, but I think maybe the speed and the injury risk on a guy like Correa uh, maybe does move him back a little bit. Um I prefer Ahmad Rosario. I prefer Nico Horner. But again, like it's not going to beat people up over it. I just, I want, I think often people see like these guys who have nice rookie campaigns and go, now imagine when he has a little bit more, you know, progression, a little bit more growth. He's going to be even better this year. Um, and I don't think that's the case with Jeremy Pena. I think he is who he is, which is a fine player, uh, you know, that makes sense if you do wait at shortstop or if you want to kind of take an earlier MI but not a guy that is a quote-unquote league winner. I think he's just fine for what he is. I mean, it'll be hard for him to surpass the statistical output so much. I think 22 and 11 is probably about as much as you're going to be able to hope forward from him. I don't know if you're going to be see 30 and 20 seasons from him, but even if he settles in as a 20 and 10 guy, Houston will take that every day of the week, not having to pay career. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, it's just kind of a bummer. I think on on a worse team, He'd be batting second or third, uh, potentially. Um, but like yeah. he's just they, they can't even get Kyle Tucker above six in this lineup. He's not batting above seven. Isn't that crazy though? Kyle Tucker bat, like he should be higher, don't you think? He absolutely should be. I don't understand it. It just it boggles my mind. An organization that seems as smart as Houston 
continuing to like take away plate appearances from arguably their best player um just makes no sense to me yeah <laughs> Uh, all right, let's. Uh, the next guy on the list is Spencer Strider. Um, this is another one I kind of got to give the market a little bit of kudos because when he, you know, when we first started drafts, um, you know, way back in September, October, though, I, there I know there were some drafts like in August, which you know, insanity to me. Um, some some really you know smart but uh, crazy guys in the industry. It looked like he was going to end up being like a high second round pick. Um, and that could still happen because we know that starting pitching prices do go up during the month of March, especially if you're playing over on a place like NFBC, maybe in your, uh, in your ESPN and Yahoo leagues, they won't go up quite as drastically, but Spencer Strider has an ADP of 33 currently. So beginning of the third round in a 15 team league, uh, and those are drafts, uh, since the beginning of the year, uh, I love the upside. I do worry about like what the inning totals are going to look like on him. Where are you at on Spencer Strider? The upside is unmatched. I, I think considering like what he did, 200 strikeouts and 130 innings or whatever it was, like he was ridiculous. The funny thing is when you're looking at uh, roster resource earlier this week when I did a Braves preview, he was slotted in as the fourth starting pitcher. And I mean, it's realistically possible that he doesn't get the ball till the fourth day of the season. I guess it just goes to speak to the depth of the team in general. Uh, I, I'm I'm in on him, but it's similar to the guys we talked about prior. The price, I'm I'm not so in at the price. Like I believe he's the sixth starting pitcher going off the board at this point. We're again drafting a guy at his absolute ceiling when he's proven it. Like he absolutely did go out there and prove it. But to your point, is he going to throw 120 innings? Is he going to throw 160 innings? Is he going to throw you know 85 innings? I, I don't think it'll be 85 unless there's injury or something like that. But we just don't really know what's going to happen with Strider. And I think that the the price we're paying at this point is a little bit too rich for me. If he was going maybe a round later, and I took him in the D.C. we did in Arizona, and I got him in the fourth round, I think. And that maybe even the, maybe even the fifth round. Like I got him pretty late in that draft. At that point, sure, I'm all in. Um, but where he's going and, you know, possibly likely eh, maybe sneaking into the end of the second round there, a little bit too expensive for me at this point still. Yeah. I, the price is just a little bit too high for me on a guy that, you know, like I, I just can't put him in there as a top 10 starting pitcher for me. I just can't do it. Like it just, you know, it's a little bit too unproven when other guys, you know, that have shown like longevity, the ability to go 180 innings um, are available. I'm just, it, makes it really really difficult for me that being said it could look really really silly because we're not talking about a guy who just threw you know 80 innings or 100 innings last year right we're we're talking about a guy who threw 131 in the major in the major leagues last season like he could legitimately be 170 180 you know uh and it wouldn't be surprising and if he can keep that strikeout rate with 170 innings uh, that is such a crap ton of strikeouts. And he's never really shown a homer issue in, you know, the majors or the minors. Uh, it's, I mean, it really comes down to, like, what's the walk rate? How many innings per start can we get? Um, I think a lot of it lines up where this could absolutely be not just, like, justified in terms of a really high ADP, but actually a bargain. Because um, if he end, he could end up as the number one starting pitcher in you know, all of fantasy, the only pitcher in fantasy, I think, that has a higher upside is DeGrom. And we're obviously just more worried about DeGrom's health than we are worried about a guy like Spencer Strider. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think this one is, if you're playing in 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues, take the gamble on Spencer Strider. Like, I don't have an issue with it because there'll be replacement value um, and guys you can backfill uh, when he maybe has a start skipped or something like that if they're trying to hold down innings. Um, but ultimately, in a 15-team league, I have a really difficult time pulling the trigger on Spencer Strider at the price. I want him, you know, same to Bobby Witt. I really want him, and I will take him if he goes a little bit later. And even, like you said, at the price, he may be a bargain. I just personally, and I, everybody drafts their own way. Everybody has their own strategies and mentalities. I'm a sucker for a track record. And even though he did prove it last season, we're talking 20 starts. And as good as he was, he's a two-pitch pitcher who may end up getting, you know, they might end up understanding him a little bit better in year two. And Will he have the same strikeout rate? Maybe he will. The projections think it'll come down like, you know, five-ish percent, which wouldn't kill him, but it wouldn't be – I wouldn't be great. And I think when we're drafting these guys, especially these sophomore players, we tend to push them up because they're the new thing. It's what have you done for me lately, and these guys have performed lately. But I'm just looking at these guys who are going around him and a little bit after him. Like for this season, would you rather have Kevin Gosman or Spencer Strider? Um, Strider, but it's it's very close. Yeah, and you can get Gosman so much cheaper, and that's yeah. like a, and kind of the way I'm going with with these things is looking at relative draft value. Strider's going at 36. You can get Woodruff at the same price. You can get Aaron Nola like a little bit later. You can get Carlos Rodon like a full round later. I want Strider, but I'd much rather take batters in the first couple of rounds and then fill out my pitching with those Rodons and your Zach Wheelers, Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoas and these guys going in the 50 through 100-ish range. I'm going to have a lot of them because I just think that there's a lot of value to be had there. Nothing really against Strider in particular, I guess. It's more so the value farther down the board that I can get. Yeah, I'm right there with you, actually. Like, for me, it's not – I mean, starting pitching is so deep this year, especially at the top, uh, that it's really going to be very difficult for me to be considering a starting pitcher that early uh, when I can get Zach Allens and Alec Manoas and Carlos Rodon's and Kevin Gosman's, you know, a round or two later. Like, it's going to – I'm just going to very often pass on uh, kind of – these guys, especially the ones with not very long track records going this high. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about another starting pitcher with a huge amount of upside that people are getting really, really excited about is going later, but Hunter green, man, it's not a cheap draft cost. The upside is immense. We saw him start to put the things together at the end of last season. Are you drafting Hunter green? I'm having zero shares of Hunter green and it's nothing against him. I think that he can be fantastic, but again, it's that, Allure of the new. We saw him go out there, massive strikeout rates, and we're in on him. He's going in the top 120 picks. His minimum pick, and again, we're not – oh, actually, I have the filters uh, reset here. Let me just change the filters. Um, but he's going, I think, that wouldn't change too much here in these recent drafts, like around 120-ish, one maybe even a little bit higher at this point. I, um, I have him going one, 111 since the beginning of the year. The last four drafts, 102. Like, he's just yeah. getting more expensive. He's And I just can't get behind it. I mean, everybody's going to point to those last few starts of the year as, you know, Hunter Green really found himself. And granted, he did it against St. Louis in St. Louis. Over six innings, he struck out 11. Those other four starts that were really impressive down the stretch were at Miami, Milwaukee, at Pittsburgh, and against the Cubs at home. So he kind of beat up on some poorer teams down the stretch, and we'll look at the splits, and we'll see what he did in September, and it was fantastic. And the strikeout rates 
were fantastic. He seemed to figure it out. But to draft a sophomore pitcher who is going to be in probably the worst ballpark you can be in, arguably, you know, toss up between Great American and Coors, really, depending on how you look at it, as one of your top three, even four starting pitchers in that range, I'm very, very nervous about what we're going to get at 100 green. I think that this is potentially the huge, the biggest bust of the season incoming. The team sucks. There's not going to be many wins coming. You know, he still has control problems. He still is always going to have a home run problem in that ballpark. It's never not going to be there for anybody, really. But especially for a guy like Green, who's a little bit more volatile in his delivery, I don't know that we're going to see any positive return on this investment this year. I think that, honestly, I haven't really done like a a bus article yet, but he's going to be in there because he's just, the price is, like we just said, he's going from 120 to 111 to 102. Pretty soon he'll be going in the same range as Castillo and Gosman. And then what the hell are we doing? You know, what, what are we doing at that point? So I'm, I'm out on Hunter Green. Yeah, I mean, the schedule was pretty nice in the second half. He did have just as many home starts as he had away starts um, and only gave up one home run in that time. So, I mean, that is really, really encouraging. I agree, though. I really do worry about, like, the home runs being an issue, especially in Great America Ballpark. The other issue I have is that um, he kind of profiles this guy who doesn't, have a fantastic whip um like you know very maybe like early career luis castillo where he's just like you know a guy who like hey great era gets you strikeouts um but the whip's gonna be bad and there's a homer problem and here's the problem with a guy who plays on cincinnati with a bad whip or maybe not a pristine whip um there's only four categories for starting pitching, right? You've got ERA, whip, strikeouts, and wins. Cincinnati's not going to win a lot of games, right? And that bullpen's not very good. So he could be ahead in starts because he's thrown a really good start, and the bullpen probably loses it for him. So, like, if you can't, if he becomes a two category guy, like, I don't want that as my SP2 or my SP3. I want a guy who's at least giving me three categories, right? At the very least, yeah. Yeah, and I prefer a guy giving me four categories. This one is one, again, that could blow up in my face. But again, with the the depth of starting pitching this year, I'm I'm just not going to take the gamble. Like, I understand people are, like, comping him to, like, Shane McClanahan and Alec Manoa, a guy you're getting outside of top 100 that could be an SP1. And he definitely could be. And we're going to talk about his teammate here in a second, another guy who could be. But I I just don't think the, uh, the juice is worth a squeeze at this point. Manoa and McClanahan, you know, it's kind of similar, but they're talking about much better teams and much friendlier ballparks, you know, not that Toronto is a big pitcher-friendly park or anything, but it's it's more friendly than it used to be, and I think that's a huge factor there. Like, is Green potentially better than those guys long-term? It's definitely in the range of outcomes, but being in Cincinnati is always going to hinder you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about his teammate in Nick Lodolo, who's another guy who, uh, you know, it showed some really, really interesting flashes. I was really, really intrigued with him towards like the middle and end of the season last year. But again, I think he has kind of the same kind of issues as Hunter Green, and that is he pitches in Cincinnati. And I don't know if he is going to be a four category starting pitcher. Um, and I worry that he could be a two category starting pitcher. Uh, where are you at on Nick Lodolo? Yeah, it's very similar to Hunter Green, just on the other, you know, lefty versus righty, essentially. That's the only big difference here. They're both big strikeout guys who have a walk problem. Uh, The home runs weren't actually terrible for Lodolo last year, considering, you know, Great American. 
Uh, he gave you a 366 ERA, where Hunter Greens was actually 444. So Lodolo was actually the better pitcher, technically, uh, in terms of results this year. He's going a little bit cheaper, but still, you know, I'm just looking at the most recent couple of drafts. He's going to pick 120. I just can't get behind it. We've talked about how deep pitching is. He's going ahead of Kershaw. You know, as much as Kershaw is volatile, and he's going to get, not really volatile, his, his innings pitched more volatile than anything else. He's going to get hurt, probably, but he's probably going to give you 120-some-odd innings. Like, would you rather take 120 from Kershaw or the projected 150 from Lodolo? Like, I'm going with the Kershaw innings every single day of the week, and it, it keeps going. If you're talking about guys who are going later than him, Chris Bassett, Freddie Peralta, Charlie Morton, there's so many guys here that have proven track records that are on better teams that we don't have any, really, of the same concerns with that I would much rather take a few rounds later. I really like Lodolo. I think long-term, maybe a similar ceiling to what we can see with Hunter Green. Uh, maybe the strikeouts won't be quite as high, but still, I mean, he struck out 30% of batters this season. He could be really damn good. I'm just not willing to pay the price before they've fully shown it. Not that he was bad or anything last year, but again, we're talking about 19 starts. I, I'm just not really there yet at this price. I think one of the major issues with a guy like Lodolo is the fact that he only threw 103 innings at the major league level. Now you can't add in the minor league stuff and that gets him to like 115-ish. But do we really expect a non-competing team like the Reds to let him go 170? I, I don't think so. Like I think you pretty much cap him 130, 140, uh, and then you kind of wait. He's also a bad whip guy, right? So now we can't get wins because he's in Cincinnati. He's a bad whip guy. He had a one in what was a really, really nice breakout kind of season last year. He had a 125 whip, you know, depending on which projection system you want to use. ATC has him 122. Uh, the bat has him 127. Uh, you know, so he's going to hurt you in whip. He is going to not be able to give you wins. And we also don't know like what kind of innings we're going to get from him. So can he compile the strikeouts? I love Nick Ludolo long-term. I don't love him for this year. I don't have him as a top 50 starter. Um, and uh, that's unfortunate because I do really, really like the skills, but uh, I just can't, I can't with a projection this year. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. All right. Moving away from Cincinnati uh, and moving on over mm -hmm. to Arizona. Let's talk about Alec Thomas um, who came up, struggled. Uh, and I think there are some real concerns about whether or not he even gets a full-time shot this year in Arizona. Where are you at on Alec Thomas? I think that's the biggest concern is if he's going to play. You know, they were crowded with outfielders before the offseason. You know, they got rid of Dalton Varsho, but they brought in Kyle Lewis. They brought in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. If you look at fan graphs, if you look at roster resource, he's nowhere to be found. He's in the minors as of right now. So will he get some at-bats throughout the season? Let me take a look at his projections. 36 games on the bat, 63 on ATC. That's probably about right at this point. Like, I think they're probably going to give Kyle Lewis a chance over him, I would expect. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel is going to be starting in that lineup. Jake McCarthy is solidified. Corbin Carroll is obviously solidified there. I I don't know that there's really going to be room for him at, the, at this point. And he's going, you know, he's not expensive. But in draft champions, you know, just the most recent ones, he's going inside the top 400. And I don't think that we're probably going to see much positive value there. Like, he's going 200-plus picks ahead of Kyle Lewis recently. And I know it's the offseason. We still don't really know what's going to happen. But Kyle Lewis, right now, I mean, he's probably more likely to be on the Major League roster. I would think, a uh, not a reigning, but a former Rookie of the Year. We don't really know what he can be yet. We don't really know what either of them can be yet. But I think that it's probably just the situation where there are too many mouths to feed where it'll end up impacting a lot of them. Like, I don't think it'll impact Corbin Carroll so much or Jake McCarthy. 
but I think there's a chance that we see Guriel and Kyle Lewis and and Alec Thomas end up splitting a lot of the bats in the outfield, which will just nerf all of their value. I, I think you absolutely nailed it. I actually really like Alec Thomas uh, in long term. I think he's going to be very good, but I just don't see where unless there's a trade and I do think this is a team that could trade someone before opening day. And maybe it is Alec Thomas, you know, maybe they do another kind of like, uh, you know, bat for pitching kind of deal, the Zach gallon for jazz Chisholm type of deal, you know, and they go and find, uh, you know, a team that's looking to move a starter, maybe those Texas Rangers, maybe it's the Marlins again. Um, and, you know, and they, uh, and they go, Hey, Alec Thomas, you want to take a gamble? Maybe we'll take a gamble on Trevor Rogers. Or we'll take a gamble on John Gray, or you know, uh, and kind of see what uh, what these teams want to do. But as of things stand right now, I just don't see the path to playing time without an injury or a trade, and so it's really really hard for me to roster him, uh, you know, in anything. I guess, yeah, really in anything, because I know people like will say, "Well, draft champions, there's 50 rounds," but you don't want to put these guys that don't have a role on your draft champions team. Because you're going to have injuries and no chance to pick guys up that do emerge. So um, I'm probably staying away from Alec Thomas, which is a huge bummer for me because I'm a huge fan. Yeah. And I mean, if you're thinking about it, it's not like I'd want to say, like, oh, you know, it's a dart throw or whatever, but he's not even at the price at this point. You can draft champions, 750 players get drafted. He's going almost in the first half of those drafts, just outside of the first half. And we're talking about somebody who, you know, he's projected for 36 games on some systems. There's a lot of risk, and I don't know if the reward is going to be that fulfilling for you in 2023. All right. Let's finish out with Joey Bart, who, uh, you know, was a top-tier catching prospect. Uh, and I know there's an old phrase, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. It's in step. But I wonder if there's really no such thing as a catching prospect because Joey Bart has not lived up to the hype. A lot of catchers don't live up to the hype. Um, he should play as kind of the main catcher in San Francisco this year, but do we care? Uh, not particularly. I mean, we've seen a few different instances of him in the big leagues at this point. This past season was the biggest sample size, <clears throat> and he was not great. I mean, he struck out. I, I was surprising when I was putting together catcher rankings. This one stuck out to me. He struck out almost 40% of the time last year. Like, he is not, and he only walked. I mean, his walk rate was okay, 9%, when you're, when you're striking out 40% of the time. I just can't see myself being that interested. I had him ranked as my 30th catcher for what it's worth. I'm not so in on him. I think like if he's your second catcher, if and he's not even somebody that I'd want to target as a second catcher, but if you get behind, you take care of the other scarce positions first and you end up with him as your C2, I'd be okay with it. But this lineup is not the greatest. He's projected right now to bat ninth. I just can't really see myself getting behind him at this point. I don't I don't think we're quite at the bust point yet with him because he's still, I mean, just turned 26 years old last month. He could still potentially come a little bit farther than what we've seen. I think the thing with him is that we're all expecting another Buster Posey. You know, he's filling in those shoes and people were expecting, you know, a one-for-one. One. Maybe, maybe they weren't, but a big catching prospect coming in to replace – uh, who is likely a Hall of Famer in Buster Posey. It's going to be a letdown, whatever he does, and specifically with how he's played. He has not been that great, so I'm not too interested. The price is, where's the price? 350 roughly right now. I think he's an okay C2, but uh, based on my rankings, he's like the last C2 that I'd really want to be going with. Yeah, I mean, this is hard because I watch him on a you know daily basis during the season, right? I'm, I'm a Giants fan. It's really easy for me to watch his games. Um, he is awful against off-speed and breaking pitches. Just atrocious. 
you know, two, he had a 295 batting average versus fastballs last year. Hey, that's awesome. That's fantastic, right? Uh, he also had a 120 batting average against breaking pitches and a 128 batting average against off-speed pitches. He can hit a fastball, and he can hit it really, really hard. You look at, like, the max exit velocity, and you go, man, this guy's got some real power. 95th percentile in max exit velocity, 114 for a catcher. Man, that's awesome. But if you can't hit secondary stuff, you're just you're never going to see fastballs. <laughs> like, you, they're just going to keep throwing you junk if you're going to chase – or and the bigger issue is completely whiff inside of the zone on breaking stuff and off-speed stuff, right? Like they don't even have to go outside the zone. He's got like around a league average O swing. Like he's not chasing stuff out of the zone. He's missing stuff completely in the zone. He's got like a 74% zone contact percentage. That's atrocious. League average, 84%. Like he's 10%. Like that's among the worst in baseball. Um I don't want to give up on a guy who's young, but there really isn't a ton of reason other than playing time to draft him as a low NC2 this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's still too early to fully give up, I think. Mm-hmm. like Even the entirety of his major league career is 132 games at this point. It's still a little bit early, but the early returns have not been great, especially for a fan. I'm sorry, Justin. That's awful. Replacing, yeah. Justin, replacing uh, Buster Posey with a guy like him, it's not easy. But meh, you still got some time. You still got hope. Yeah, he's still young. He could still figure out, you know, growth isn't linear and catchers take a longer time to kind of develop. So, like, maybe he does figure it out at some point, but it's just – I'm not saying I'm out on him for this year. Like, he could end up on my teams because he's so cheap. Uh, but, like, he's definitely not – he is a fallback option at best. Yeah. All right, Joe. Thank you so much for joining me. Justin, thank you for having me, man. It's great talking with you. Uh, it's, it's always a great time. We've done a couple of different pods together throughout the last year. And it's crazy that I've been around for a year at this point doing this, but, uh, people like yourself make the, make the whole experience a lot better. Very welcoming. You and Danielle were fantastic to hang out with in Arizona. Send her my best. It was, it was uh, a great experience. It was surreal, you know, walking around, spending time with guys like yourself and Paul and Eno and all the great people. Uh, it was surreal. I'm going to be back next year. We'll talk again much sooner than that. I'm sure though. Absolutely. I remind everybody where you can be on social media and plug your work. Yeah, so I am at Joe Orico 99 over on Twitter. I'm the head of the baseball department at Sports Ethos and SportsEthos.com. Uh, pulling together a bunch of our articles now that are going to be coming out over the next few weeks. Sleepers, rankings, busts, rookies, tons of different things going on over there. Uh, I host Fantasy MLB Today, the podcast. You guys can check that out wherever you get your shows, Google, Spotify, wherever uh, we're doing team previews, we're doing rankings, we're doing all that kind of stuff, mock drafts here and there. Um, a lot of fun. So come hang out, check it out at uh, Fantasy MLB today, wherever you guys get your shows. But Justin, uh, thanks, thank you again for having me. Great time, man. Hey, thanks for coming on. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB, writing daily at Fangraphs. And um, I'm also on the F- uh, Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast where I'm wrapping up my 30 team previews in 30 days. Hey, did you like Joe? We're about to go record the Toronto Blue Jays uh, team previews. So that'll be coming out the same day uh, over on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits uh, feed. So definitely uh, come by swing over there. Um, and yeah, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. For Joe and myself, thanks for listening. Have a fantastic baseball offseason. <laughs>